Do we not have last names? My name is Matthew Kroll. And they look like little shrieks. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. T-M-N-T M-M. You know what's so funny? <laughs> what's that? This might be the f- no, it's not the first, but it's the one I the first one I can think of that uses the same word in the title twice. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Yeah. Mutant Mutant. Mutant Mutant. Two mutants. So TM squared NTM. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. That's <laughs> fine. It's cubed because TM cubed. No, well, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I got, I got you, got you. it. You got hey, it. You know, actually, one thing I wanted to do, and I'm doing this with no empirical evidence whatsoever. So please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if you can. What I wanted to figure out, this is a question mark I had, but I had no time to research it, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just lazy. What is the value of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles IP versus Spider-Man? Less. You think so? I do. I'm very curious about this question because the merchandising value of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is very, very high. They're, I know from a, from a popular culture point of view... Uh, Spider-Man probably occupies a greater space. Yep. However, there have been far more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies than there have been Spider-Man movies, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I have a sneaking suspicion the numbers are somewhat comparable. Maybe. I mean, there's been more Fast and the Furious movies than Spider-Man, but I would say Spider-Man is globally more popular than the Fast and the Furious. But but what's the economic value? Is uh, that's what I'm trying to get at? Is like what is the economic value of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Spider Man? That be I mean it's funny you say that you were too lazy to research it. I think that would take like weeks of actual math. <laughs> I'm sure uh, there's I'm sure someone out there has a number. Well, I mean, how do you value an IP exactly? Are you are you valuing it? You, it would all have to be um, speculation because you you could value what, what the could money. You, yeah, what what you, I, I'm you like, could value the money up to the date that yeah. it has made. Yeah. Uh, which would be insane to try to calculate. Yeah, and there's just a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> out there. That's that. That's what I realized as I was watching this movie. Because uh, for me, in 1990, I think, which is when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing on the planet. Still, I have I I love that movie so much. The yeah. original live action. I have it on Blu-ray on a four. We listened to the soundtrack yeah. this it's weekend. So good. <laughs> yeah, but I was just like, oh wow, is this is this one of the biggest sleeper properties that we're just not aware of? Because like there was a live, there were two live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies that came out in the in like the last five years. I know, and and, I, then, and then there was like a very popular um, uh, animated movie as well, Leonardo, uh, really based around Leonardo. And then there was another animated movie recently as well. And there has been ongoing television shows the whole time. It feels like Ninja Turtles has gone on the roller coaster of um, cultural rev- re- relevance and popularity. Uh, they've never like dipped crazy low, but yeah. like then they were they were also back in what the late nineteen uh, nineties or early two thousands. There was like live action TV shows a la Power Rangers and things. There's probably has there been a Broadway show? <laughs> There's, there was oh so no there there was a musical tour okay sure yeah that uh, makes sense which was if you have not seen that dear yeah. listeners please go uh, YouTube that it is something I would also just for your own sake Google the photos of the original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies costumes which apparently have been sitting in storage for years and are now. Uh, like half deteriorating, covered in mold, and Don't look like that. and look like Swamp Thing. It is ter- It is quite terrifying. And um, I remember a friend of the show, Jerome Milligan, is a big TMNT fan, yep. uh, and I would send him that just to annoy him every now oh, and again. Oh, I miss Jerome. <laughs> yeah, we haven't so, seen Jerome in a while. So I just I just looked up like for the 2014 Ninja Turtles because uh, yeah. the live action one. Yeah. 
Uh, that grossed uh, worldwide. I mean, not bad. Uh, $485 million off of a budget of $125 million. I'm just, I'm putting it out there that, and there's more of these. And it's been rebooted more times than, than Spider Man has. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, and it's a Paramount Nickelodeon vehicle. I think they yes, own it. Yep, yep, yep. So um, I wonder what the economic value of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is. I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty high. Like, and now I'm just going to go, uh, I'm going to look up, like, just No Way Home, what the box office total of No Way Home is. That'd be, I think it's in the billion, right? It is in the billion. Yeah, it is in the billion. Uh, $1.9 billion. billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, what about what about Far From Home? Or uh, what was the first one? Homecoming. Homecoming. Like, let's, because that wasn't as popular, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I'd love to see if that, like, and again, these are just the films. We can't quantify the well, amount. I'm sure there is some value to how do you quantify 880 million off of that. Right. Like, I, I, I would imagine they are comparable. My gut says from a. Ooh, I don't know. I'm not worldly enough. Email us <laughs> at early movie podcast at gmail.com. In your in wherever you live. Yeah. On the globe. What is more immediately recognizable? A Ninja Turtle head or a Spider-Man head? Right. Like, like I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna venture to guess it's a Spider-Man head. I How, think... However, I guess what I'm getting at is we Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles isn't quite in our wheelhouse in terms of like you know things that we are immediately gravitating towards, and we don't go out and watch the movies all the time. Um, but I'm wondering the sheer fact that it's been really around for the last thirty, well, forty years in popular culture and consistently putting output out. I wonder what the economic value is, and maybe it's quite high. And and that was the thing that was surprising me, because I was like, oh, we're, they're rebooting TMNT. And then when I watched it, I was like, wait a minute. There were two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies um, just a few years ago. And then there were, you know, this big animated movie. And also, the merch- I wonder how the merchandise has continued to sell. You're right, in so much as Disney does not own um, TMNT like they own Spider-Man. And well, I don't think it has to do with Disney or Paramount. It's just who- well, just just what the distribution arm uh, reach of the of these products are. Um, but I just I wondered about that. Now I took my son. There's an interesting story here as well. Is that we, me and my son, went to see this on Saturday. We yep. went to an advanced screening at the time of uh, recording this episode. The movie hasn't come out yet, so the movie will be out uh, when this movie is released. So <laughs> I, we have no idea what the numbers are on this movie, right, whether right. whether it plays uh, well or not. Um, but you actually in that screening as well. I was. Well, that was super random. That was the day I went and saw three movies in one day. Right. You you did the Ar- Armenheim. Uh, I did Oppen Oppen Op- Ninja Possible. Oppen Oppen Mutantable Dead Reckoning. Right. Uh, but no, I saw I saw I saw Oppenheimer at nine thirty in the morning. I then uh, went to lunch and then texted you here. We were talking about podcast schedule and then uh, I went. You happened to be around the I corner. Happened to be for... around the corner from the theater, so I just got like the last ticket of this advanced screening to the same showing. Ran into you right before we walked in, yeah. and then afterward, Jamie and I went and saw Dead Reckoning. So, uh, yeah, I was in the movies for a long time. I posit, yeah, that I might be the only person on the planet to have watched all three of those movies in the same day. Okay. That's it, a... It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> on the non-zero planet. chance that that is true. <laughs> uh, I also just was an ad. I remember coming home and telling my wife, I was like in admiration. I was like, do you remember when we didn't have kids? And like, it was like that, that was my, my big takeaway from that. I was like, do you remember when we didn't have kids? <laughs> like you could go to the movies all day. Do whatever you wanted. Yeah. You could just like suddenly go to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whereas we had to plan for a week to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I changed my, I, I had a whole like regimented <laughs> schedule of what I needed to get done. And I yeah. was like, or 
I could just go to the movies all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I want to say um, uh, appreciative of the fact that you didn't do what I used to do, which is sneak into movies. Oh no, you actually purchased tickets yeah. for all of these. Well, to you be have fair, an AMC. Stuff. I, I've always yeah, yeah stubs. Yeah. I I burned all three of my stubs. Oh, is it three a week or three a month? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna I, find I, out. I don't but have we're it. we're as you can tell, we're recording a lot of these episodes out of order. So. Uh, we're getting things done uh, mm-hmm. just early, trying to get things mm-hmm. forward. Uh, maybe we'll release some early on Nebula again. Who knows? Did that? Did people like that? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, if you, uh, in case you don't, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. But we got a few emails this week. I think this first email is really fascinating. Uh, this comes in from Paul, who writes, Manager here, opening remarks and well wishes. In lieu of a full episode on the movie, I wondered if you guys might comment on the recent Sound of Freedom controversy oh. and box office success. I haven't seen the movie myself, but I'm curious if you had any thoughts on it as either a relatively moderate, competent thriller or a sleeper cell for radicalization. All the best. This is a really interesting one because we're get, the conversation around Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is, uh, you know, like, and its economic value is, is, is what sort of prompted this as well. Sound of Freedom in the last few weeks has made more money than Mission Impossible. Sure. And, and that, uh, like, so now uh, I, I responded to Paul and said, Look, uh, and, and I'm speaking for both of us, um, there is obviously a sort of QAnon controversy around Sound of Freedom and, and, and its origins, and we obviously, uh, if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that we're, we are not uh, conspiracy theorists, and, and we are uh, fairly left-leaning, uh, I would presume, uh, it would be a, a way to categorize us. Um, and however, this is a movie. And what I've always said about movies is that we are willing to give anything a fair shot and and talk about it and and, um, and discuss it. There is this sort of ongoing question that we've had about separating art from the artist. Uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, Ka- Ka- oh, I always pronounce his last name wrong, Jesus from The Passion of the Christ, sure. um, has been talking a lot about uh, adrenochrome, I think it is, and QAnon, <laughs> and, and, you know, and Jesus on his uh, in his interview priest tours for this. There's this weird thing with this movie, which is that if you are not willing to see it because of the QAnon side of it or your feelings about that, uh, you are sort of labeled as not caring about child trafficking. Um, so it's, it's a very strange one. I'm like, uh, my position is this. I'm happy to see the movie. Absolutely happy to see the movie at any point. Um, it will be interesting whether we would be willing to discuss it on the show, given, given it's, given it's pedigree. I think we, I, I'm confident we could also discuss it navigating that issue fairly well. Um, but you are, Paul, kind of, you're correct, which is that this movie is making a lot of money. It's making a lot of news, making a lot of press. Um, and there is a sort of hesitancy on our side to, to discuss it. Um, I actually and, don't have any hesitancy to discuss it. Right. Uh, to be perfectly honest. We've, this is before this email. You and I don't think have even discussed this No, we movie. haven't discussed it. Yeah. Um, is it something I want to talk about? Not really. Uh, I would. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I guess that could be considered hesitancy, but mm. not real. Like if someone's like, "You, you want to do this?" I'd be like, "Okay." Like, well, it, l- let's take out the framework of it of, of the success, but just said, "There's a QAnon themed movie out. Would you be willing to watch it and discuss it?" I wouldn't be willing to uh, support it monetarily. We we have an issue, which is that again, we're very small, but you know, like we're the we're biggest so- <laughs> podcast on the goddamn planet. Well, we're the only one, so by yeah, I mean I by default, but but, but I guess what we're sort of concerned about and thinking about and it it does kind of like allow us to check our biases a little bit here is like platforming a movie like this Mm -hmm. um and platforming ideas that could be somewhat dangerous or 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 um based on misinformation 
Um, but it's interesting. Uh, Paul, again, thank you for writing us in. Um, I would be interested in checking out that, uh, the movie and kind of maybe giving it some thought. We haven't seen the movie. Uh, had no plans to see the movie at this point. Um, you know, obviously other things have, have sort of taken its place right now. Um, but maybe we would revisit this conversation at some point. There, there's, this has actually happened a couple of times. We had a guest that was going to come on the show at one point who was uh, a known um, uh, right-wing um, theorist. Sure. Um, and it was, you know, like we, we debated whether we were going to do that, but we were like, at the, at the same time, you know, while we have our own belief structure, that doesn't mean we can't have a discussion. Um, yeah, there, there's an interesting... <sighs> In my life, both professionally and personally, there's an interesting balance between having a discussion and being open to ideas yeah. and realizing what I would very clearly call the right-wing playbook, which yeah. a lot of it starts with, I'm just asking questions. Right. And it's not done in good faith yeah. oftentimes, and that's where when when someone is open to the idea of discussion, like we'd like to be and like mm -hmm. et cetera, it, it, it is a form of manipulation and entrapment in, into sort of getting ideas across, even to uh, our uh, uh, you know audience of only people listening to podcasts in this universe. Yeah. So it, there's a balance. I think what I would be comfortable with with the sound of freedom is watching it, but not having paid for it. Uh, right. Like if there was a screener or something along those lines, and then and then doing kind of weirdly what what I liked the format that we did with Barbie, mm -hmm. looking at it. As a, a film, like yeah. just sort of uh, structurally, narratively, what it's doing, mm -hmm. is it competent, is it good, whatever. And then looking at sort of the cultural impact and the story around what is happening. Right. Um, the I, I've only gleaned, to be perfectly honest, it hasn't interested me. So I've only gleaned both sides of the conspiratorial aspects of people discussing this movie. Mm. People are saying that the entire thing is an indoctrination vehicle. Uh, uh, others are saying that... Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, y y like you said, like people are accusing people of being like for child trafficking <laughs> yeah. for not wanting to watch it. But then the other, the, um, the flip side of that is people have then also had these sold out screenings, mm -hmm. but the movie theaters are empty. And so it's weird. Like there's, there's all sorts of sides of these stories that have only gleaned like the far ends of the, the, the spectrum of information. And I haven't deep dived. Yeah. Um, it's definitely an interesting conversation, uh, and I think as um, as more and more, <laughs> like, there will be a lesson taught from this if, but, like, we'll see what other, yeah, <laughs> what other films come after. It's amazing that we were, we were ready to jump on TMNT. You came here for a, a podcast about a, a, a essentially a children's movie, yeah, but wonder... also from your childhood. <laughs> yeah, and now you're getting politics. Let's, you know what? No, I'm going to infuse politics into all of Ninja Turtles as we go through it. Le which, uh, before we move on, who's the who's the right winger in uh, in the TMNT group? Who's Le the most right winger? Who's the most right winger? I, it's obviously it's it's Leonardo or Raphael. It's Leonardo. Leonardo's got a kind of um, uh, Leonardo is Reaganomics, but like that's not what right wing is right now. Like, so I actually don't know if any of the turtles I would put into a right wing camp at this point. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> got another email from Muhammad. You want to take that yeah, for yeah, us? Yeah. 
Uh, Muhammad writes, hope you're doing well. Yesterday, I went to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, and I got to say that even though I liked it a lot, uh, after thinking on it, I believe that to me it was missing that it factor that made the last three entries so good. Every major action set piece, apart from the mind-blowing motorcycle uh, jump train sequence, was lacking that visceral kinetic energy from previous entries. I would like to chalk it up to its troubled production due to COVID or maybe because it's just one half of the story, but something is definitely missing from this entry. Since Ghost Protocol, there's been an underlying layer of goofy humor beneath the very earnest and serious tone, which I thought was just not there. I really liked what Matt said, that how this film wears its heart on its sleeve and despite its borderline ridiculous plot manages to sell <laughs> sell it because of it. I wish more films did that. Uh, also, here's my telephone number. I mean, er, my ranking of MI films. It is six, five, four, one, two, three, seven. Whoa. I like it. MI7 comes in last. Hey. Over two. Yeah. <laughs> and, Listen. And three still at the bottom. I, I don't know what's wrong with people. I don't know. I don't know. P.S. I hope this film makes international travelers avoid the Dubai airport, which, in my opinion, is a clusterfuck of bad design. No wonder Shea Wiggum's character hated it so much. I have not been to Dubai airport. I hope we're not besmirching the name of Dubai's airport, but uh, it looked it looked nice. Here's it the nice. thing about like it looked like you could run on the roof. I will. Ne- <laughs> yeah. There's a track on the roof. Yeah. Uh, I've never been to Dubai. Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard from people that have been to Dubai, everything looks nice. Nothing is designed in a way that feels correct. <laughs> well, we should uh, we should be sponsored by Dubai Air, yeah. uh, especially after that last email. I think so. Uh, and take it away. Um, you just saw Mission Impossible 7 a second time in the movie theater. I did. How did you feel on the second watch? I actually liked it, I think, better the second Whoa. time. There was just never a moment where I was like unhappy to be there. And that was, again, my third movie. I was sitting third in hour six yeah. starting that, I think. In a, well, actually, probably like five and a half, starting that uh, film for the second time. Um, it's it's just I, I I do agree with Muhammad about like there is a there is a lack of something and I think it's a balance between the comedy and the the gravitas yeah um I think this one leans a little harder into the gravitas but because the plot is so silly <laughs> like it might have been the wrong way to lean for like a yeah, balancing the enti- perspective the, the entity which if no one's seen it we we won't spoil what it is but it the entity is ridiculous Sure. It's it's completely ridiculous. But here's the other thing, too. And I, I guess, look, this is always has been and forever will be a movie where they rip rubber masks off each other's faces. Yeah. Um, the the concept of the entity as displayed in this movie is ridiculous. Yeah. There is a way to do a more grounded version of this that could feel more like. Yeah, more real. Again, I don't know if it would have been as fun. It, I, I, I didn't think it was that fun, yeah, to be yeah. honest. With you. Anyway, like whether this was actually a um, troubled production because of COVID, we all remember the tape of uh, Tom Cruise shouting, <laughs> <laughs> "People's jobs are on the line." Um, uh, so I wonder if that, you know, like the earnestness which he displayed behind the scenes might have uh, bled through to the earnestness, but in front of the camera, uh, I, which I think might be an interesting way to read the film as well. Obviously, the stakes were very high, but maybe not for the film itself. Also, just wanted to point. Out uh, in terms of this ranking things, uh, Jamie actually texted me out of the blue yesterday, which I, I love those texts because you were and you had said that that Jamie had given you the key to unlock Mission Impossible yes, Two, right? Yes. Uh, to read it as a, a trashy romance novel. Yes. Out of the blue yesterday, <laughs> I got this email and I, I did ask her if I could read email this out. or a text uh, a text. Okay. And I asked her if I get to read this out. She she said, as a recent viewer of uh, MI films. 
You are right. Two is the absolute worst. Sure. That movie is Twilight level bad. Right. And 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 I was I I was like surprised by that because I thought you both of you. Oh no! Had, I'm had so like, sorry. No 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 no. Let me rephrase what happened. Yeah. She said that. I mean, we were both kind of like ugh. <laughs> and she said that. Yeah. And it unlocked something like a magic key in the back of my you mind. You were very excited by two all of a sudden. And and, I, and here's the thing. <laughs> I still am. Right. <laughs> She did not share the the penchant. The, like it wasn't something that like she came up with and then she was cool with. She said the words like a magic spell, and I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we, I will, I will even say we had fun watching it. She never said she liked it, right? Uh, I, I, but you ranked it quite highly. I did. You ranked it above three again, yep. and I was like, what is you know? Again, I, I'm saying this here. Uh, there is this reformation of number two that's going on in popular culture, saying it's great, it's actually great. And I'm like, guys, what are we watching? here this movie is is like it was bad in 2000s it's bad now i do not think it's a bad movie really? i think i think you have to have a, 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 a reorganization uh, of your your head spirit uh because it is it, it, look it's i would say it's probably the doofiest in that trashy romance novel like style right but again, these are movies about people ripping rubber masks off each other's faces. Like it's not we're not breaking molds here. We're not doing like and I don't know. I just I, when I watched it out of all of these, I think I had the biggest dumbest smile on my face for two. <laughs> like I just I don't know. Right. I don't know. All right. Prashant writes in, I had a chance to finally watch Athena. I had no idea that Roman Gravis had directed the No Church in the Wild video, but I totally checked it out. Whatever your tolerance for Kanye West is now, it's still an amazing music video, by the way. Uh, unfortunately, I finally got around to watching Athena because of the resistance happening in many French cities following the killing of a 17-year-old boy mm. in Nanterre. Nanterre. Uh, I suppose the, this answers the question of when one would want to watch a film like Athena. I'd also like to re recommend the work of Didier Fassin, a French anthropologist who's uh, studied police violence in France and wrote a book called Enforcing Order. He's also written an evocative article on realist fiction, taking the example of The Wire. Once again, with that, I'd also recommend Debaka Banerjee's film Shanghai, which I'm sure you'd both enjoy. Apologies if I've mispronounced that name. Uh, take care and stay safe. Just a quick follow-up. I love I love these emails, by the way. We we get people emailing us <laughs> while they're listening to the podcast, and, and then they, they come, and, and then they come tell, back. <laughs> and you can tell that they're like it's the thing and yeah, they're writing it I, as I they love go. it. I, I I really appreciate it. Just a quick follow-up as I continue listening to your review of Blackberry. I wanted to add that I liked it better than air, and I've yet to watch Flaming Hot and Tetris. Uh, speaking of, I would have preferred this film to have come out last year along with the other big tech Silicon Valley capitalism fails TV shows like The Dropout, We Crashed, and Super Pumped. Did you have a chance to check out any of those shows? Curious to hear your thoughts. Bouchant, I did not. No, I not. I, no. I, I, I've been curious to check out We Crashed. Uh, I thought that looked really interesting. I also am in a WeWork office, so I should learn a little bit more about the uh, the organizational institution for which yeah. I am paying money to. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, Prashant also actually sent me that email about The Wire, which I did read. is really fascinating. Um, a great uh, sort of look into uh, what how fiction can decipher more of... Um, Sorry, uh, how fiction can decipher reality in more interesting ways. And yeah. The Wire is a great example of that. Uh, we had a great back and forth about that uh, article uh, on our email. So, again, uh, really appreciate that. Yeah. And as far as the Athena uh, tie in of the original part of the email was concerned, I think, yeah, like moments moments mm -hmm. in, in real time that yeah. happen, uh, yeah. I think, do make it the right moment to sort of, I don't know, like get. Put your mind in the place of where possibly the filmmaker was trying to get you to go much easier. Like there, yeah. there's it's there's it's because it's it's hard to watch, but also like 
It's also a fairly nihilistic film, which, yeah. is, which is what makes it hard to, to recommend. But it's an amazing, astonishing piece of cinema. Yeah, a thousand percent. So uh, that made total sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very much, uh, Brashad. Uh, now we got one more, and I promise we're getting to Ninja Turtles. We're going to put the time codes on these <laughs> yeah, just yeah. so people know. Uh, Jacob answered my question, Shahir. What was your... What was your my it, question, yeah. I believe, was it in BlackBerry? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I asked what everyone's uh, number monetarily would be, like what their exit of capitalism number would be, <laughs> right? Uh, and Jacob answered it. Now, Jacob did a bunch of math based on his personal finances that I'm not going to read here. It's it's um, it it's, is amazing. It's immaculate. Yeah. And so like when if I'm jumping around or it seems like this is like like something hasn't been thought out, I guarantee you it has. Yeah. Uh, Jacob says, uh, I would need $2,100,000 to officially exit capitalism. It's not a completely stable system as taxes would slowly eat the principal down, but maybe I'd die first or put some of those savings in high-risk investments likely to pay over that 5%. And to be honest, I Wait, think I'd make... taxes 5%? Uh, no, the high, no uh, I think uh, the... <laughs> The high-risk investments that will pay over 5%. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, and to be honest, I think it would make it work for a lot less, uh, but the number is a rough estimate that I think would work for me. <laughs> it ends with, I really don't enjoy money. It seems like you're very good at money, though. It's pretty good. Yeah, this is a, I, there's a lot of working I there. appreciate it. And, and it's funny, on my back of the napkin math that I've done... Yeah. Um, 2.1 million. It, it, that's right. a comfortable number. Yeah. Um, but with it always changing in inflation, I haven't done this like like a uh, fake uh, experimentation uh, in a long time. So this was my number like a couple years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. I bet you now it would be different because it, it will it will drip dry. I, I'm I'm like Dr. Evil on this, which is that you're like someone will ask me this question. I will have not thought about it at all. And I'll just say one million dollars. Yeah. And then and everyone will laugh at me. Uh, because that is not as much money as you need to survive. America! <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you, Jacob. Thanks to everyone who wrote us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Matt, there are some ninjas in the sewers who happen to be green, mm -hmm. look like little shrieks, and have half shells. By the way, is it actually a half shell? Because there is a front side to it. Anyway. Could you tell us what TMNT Mutant Mayhem is about? I've never thought about that before. They are in a full shell. There, it's, it's just that the back of the shell is not quite as protective as the front of the shell. Heroes in a, a half shell. It's heroes in a full shell. It's not as good. You know, what's funny is that there's a distinction between tortoises and turtles that may be around the shell. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Maybe maybe the front isn't actually considered part of the shell because it's not as hard on the belly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Internet Movie Database does not tell us the answer to this, but it does tell us that the film is... The film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. And this is following in the long line of sort of new new form uh, animation that we pro you know probably saw um, at the beginning of Into the Spider-Verse, Mitchell's vs. the Machine, Puss in Boots uh, as well. So this sort of new approach to animation, which is kind of, I guess, in many ways feels like a response to um, Pixar. Bub bubble. Bubble art. Bubble art? I, Pixar. Like the Pixar, uh, Illumination, um, what's the other one? DreamWorks? DreamWorks, yeah, exactly. Like, there's a there's a style that, again, is very pretty. Right. Um, but that starts to feel very samey, I think, in the 3D animation space. Right. Um, and I, I think this is a direct response to that. I When I saw the trailer for this, I kind of lost my shit. Right. Like, I, and the Turtles is such a, like, obviously, we know Spider-Man worked. Yeah. Like, uh, but the Turtles feels like such a natural 
vehicle for this kind of thing. Yeah. Because the turtles, well, you know, they're the origin of the IP is all over the place. Like it started as a real grimy comic I, I book. I read the Eastman Lard yeah. comics, yeah. Uh, and then it got super uh, squeaky cleaned for television, television, and then it's gone back and forth and all over the place. You know, yeah. It's, uh, and so to have it kind of from a visual perspective go back to a bit of stylized grime, yeah, uh, is just something I was very pumped to see. There was uh, one of my animators who work uh, who I work with uh, pointed this out. This is the fact that I didn't, uh, I wasn't aware. So thank you, Sean, for sending this to me. Uh, but El Alberto Mielgo, who's a designer, was uh, hired to be the visual consultant on uh, Into the Spider Verse. Apparently, he was fired, and he, there's a blog post that Alberto uh, has written about his experience there. But he, uh, a lot of people cite that he might be the central contributor to this vision of um, of motion graphics design animation. That is built that that is far more expressive than realist. Sure, uh, and it's not to say that Pixar was realist. It's just that there 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 was a fundamental set of rules that had to be adhered to in a Pixar movie that stayed consistent throughout the movie. And I think maybe one of the core principles of this new style of animation, well, it's not new, but that has been more prevalent in like commercials and motion design, is that the rules should be broken because animation is fluid and should be right. expressive more than didactic. And I think um, that's something that we're, we're kind of living through right now, and it is beautiful, I, I must say. You know, again, um, Mitchell's vs. the Machines was one of my favorite Ooh, movies yeah. in recent years, and Into the Spider-Verse as well. And I didn't even put, in, I didn't put the connection together, because I, I often, unless I'm already familiar, I don't look up the craftspeople behind the film before yeah. I go watch it. Yeah. And I didn't realize that um, it's the same. Jeff Rowe yeah, is... Jeff Rowe is the director is, of Mitchell Vista Machine. Machines. And the writer as well. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and like, a couple, like, the... The other show, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's a television show, Gravity Gravity City or Gravity right. Falls, uh, which is supposed to be is a, that a very good... that a Chris Miller joint? That is. He, oh, so, um, uh, Jeff wrote... Uh, a gravity fall. Right. Gravity fall. Is it a is it a Phil Lord Chris Miller? I don't remember. But <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But, the, 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 but my point behind this is, after reading that, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like this makes entire sense, and I, I like seeing it brought to sort of different, uh, yeah. different IP. And, and and as you mentioned, the the Eastman Lard comics, um, were gritty and grimy and had that kind of like almost. Uh, I guess, and this might be reductive because of my limited knowledge of graphic novels, but like that sort of Frank Miller scratchy kind of quality to it. Um, it was it was a it was a low budget comic. Yeah, like, but, it, but it had that sort of like chiaroscuro, uh, chiaroscuro, um, dark shades, very sharp contrast. Yeah, grit, you know, like uh, ink splats on the page kind of approach mm -hmm. to it, right? Yeah. Um, and it was it was really great, and it was really it was for me as a kid in 1990, uh, going from the television show to those comics was like whiplash. But kind of in a fascinating way because then it allowed me to kind of see the same characters drawn with a different style and a different approach and make me think about them differently. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah. And uh, even the even the animation the animated series which started as a I'm trying to remember how it aired but it is a movie. Uh, like the the first three episodes is technically one story and a movie, right? And then they greenlit I, from and, and email must in onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com if I got this wrong. And then they greenlit the actual series based on that. And it was very bright, colorful. Clean. It was very bright, colorful, and clean. But those first three episodes mm. 
feel way darker than uh, the rest of the series. I'd need to it's, go. It's not like it's not comic book dark, right. but there is a contrast. Yeah. I think when they saw that kids really gravitated towards them, they changed it up and then they did like episodes with like the pizza monsters. <laughs> like, you know. Um and this is also a Sith Goldberg and even uh Sith sorry, Sith Rogan and even mm-hmm. Goldberg uh joint. Um, which um, the last animated film of his, I believe, we saw was Sausage Party. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, bringing the sensibilities of uh, stoner kids, I guess, to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, franchise. And, and like stoner that, grown men. Stoner grown men, sure. Uh, the first, tra- as I said, I, I watched the first trailer because uh, it was very short. And I saw like a few seconds of it. And I was like, I think my son's going to be really excited about this. So I was very excited to take my son to the movie. Got to be honest with you. Didn't love it. So he said when we walked yeah. out that he really liked it, but that's also the high at the end of the movie that you can... He actually... I think he said when we walked out, he was like, it was okay. No, he said... I asked him, he goes, I really liked it. And I yeah, was like, okay. Because okay. I've talked to him now. I I'm talked sure. to him this morning, and he was like, it was okay. I think kids also... And this is... Hello, I'm not a parent. I yeah. think kids also, when they're talking to an adult that's not their parent, and then you say like, oh, what'd you think? If they're in a good mood, they'd be like, great. Like, yeah, just yeah, to like yeah, kind of yeah, slide it through. Yeah. The, the, the real... Um, uh, evidence here is he's not asking me talked to buy, about it. No, yeah. and not asking me to buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles merchandise or mm-hmm. like like there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles experience in New York City right now, uh, you know, which I mentioned we could go to, and he's like, nah, I'm not interested. Okay, uh, Beyblades, you know, he's like all about <laughs> and, Beyblade. Yeah, and and Pokemon and Bakugan, he's still all about that, uh, but uh, not TMNT. So that's interesting because <laughs> I what I saw this film as was sort of an invitation to move the turtles. And I hope this does not sound reductive. I know in lesser hands than the craftspeople who made this movie, it would be. Right. Moving the Ninja Turtles to the TikTok generation. Because sure. a lot of the the dialogue and the script and the references in this movie are all internet meme. Right, yeah. And and that's what kids are growing up with now. That's 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 yeah. the, that's the <laughs> uh, cultural cachet, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I... It, and I think it makes sense because what's great about the movie as well... Uh, I think it's the first movie that's done this, or the first iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that's done this, is that there's an actual teenage cast, like, uh, voicing the Turtles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, that, and that is really evident. No more evident in Donatello, by the way. Yeah. And he's got <laughs> yeah. the youngest, squeakiest voice, uh, and I adore it. I think it's I think it's uh, brilliant. But also, yeah, you're right. Um, they're teenagers. They live on TikTok. You know, like, there's a moment in this where they break down, and they're like, they're doing that that Aki, get the get the sandwich. Yeah. Uh, Don't forget the Biv, never, yeah. never. Um, you know, so it, they're obviously immersed in that world, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think it worked on that respect. However, don't forget the Biv. It the story <laughs> with uh, Molly. Oh, what is the mosquito's name that's played by Ice Cube? Oh, Superfly. Superfly. Is it? Was he called something else in? So the- Superfly doesn't exist. Well, actually, maybe in the later canon he does. Yeah. So Baxter Stockman, who Baxter is Stockman. Um, yeah. uh, Superfly's dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Baxter Stockman turns into a irradiated fl- a mutant fly in right. the comics. Uh, uh, and- uh, the Cronenberg fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's also like a scientist that works with like Rat King, Shredder, and all that shit. Yeah. Um. So this was I, Superfly might have been another character. I believe almost every, I think every mutant was an eventual like toy line mutant. Maybe not even in the TV series, but like right. those have all been made because the the toy series happened down the line. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've told this story I think before. Um, I wanted uh, how I proved oh, well. Spoiler alert for Christmas. Right. I don't know if there's children listening to this. Right. Uh, 
Wait, don't you dare. Don't you dare do it. How don't. I learned that Santa was not real. <gasps> How dare you? I just I just ruined it for Shahir. Yeah. Was I asked for a uh, Ninja Turtle character that I did not want for Christmas. I told my parents oh. I would like this, and I told Santa, in talking to him and in letters, that I didn't want it, and I wanted this other one. And what? And what? And I get? got the one that I told my parents. So cool. then I was like, "We need to talk." <laughs> um, uh, that's such you, a, you schemed Santa. It's such a it's such a shitty thing for me to have done as a kid. But uh, but but at that point, yeah. it was so easy to pick a turtle's character that I didn't want because most of the fifth wave stuff was just like, what was and the now turtle? there's a panda, but it's like also a bear, and you're like, I okay, man, bear, pig. Cool. What was what was the turtle you didn't want? Uh, I did not want there was a there was a triceratops one that just looked stupid. <laughs> I don't remember the name, and I really wanted Usake Ujimbo, who okay. is actually uh, uh, the he's a rabbit samurai. Okay, uh, who actually is going to be in the DLC for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Shredder's, Shredder's Revenge. Revenge. Okay, which I'm uh, playing, which I'm very fucking pumped for because he's dope. That game is getting a great. If you haven't bought that game on any <laughs> system, if you're if you like uh, old school classic beat 'em ups, it's a love letter to those. <laughs> it it's the exact feeling you remember playing Turtles in Time. If you go back and play the turtles in time game it does not feel like you remember yeah um, so with all of that yeah what did you i i think i you know sort of hinted at this as well as i that that while the sort of art design arc of the film and the narrative construct of making sure the turtles felt like they were teenagers yep. was really great i also think this did this did a the most work it did was in Splinter's story played by Jackie Chan. Yep. I think it kind of reformed Splinter away from being the wise, you know, the wise rat into more of a goofball dad, yeah. uh, which I really enjoyed. However, as a narrative unto itself about, you know, the, the, an adventure that the turtles go on, it really did feel both familiar in terms of everything we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years in terms of these kinds of, you know, big blockbuster movies. And secondly, um, more akin to just a long episode of what the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, movie uh, TV show would have been. Um, I agree with the second. I disagree with the first. Okay. Um, let's start with the second. Uh, it does. It is. It's what it is. That's what the turtle stories always are. Like, uh, I, I, I think the closest we've gotten away from that yeah. has been the original live action film when oh, it yeah. gets like dark and introspective. Yeah, and they have to go like the turtles go on the run. Yeah, <laughs> like they go to some farmhouse yeah, yeah. in the middle of nowhere to like get zen and shit. Casey Jones is, the, and, and still we haven't seen Casey Jones. But anyway, Casey Jones is the best in that movie. Uh, uh, also playable in in Shredder's Revenge if you beat the game. Um, so. But on the first thing about it sort of feeling well-worn, I, I technically, yes, but I feel like enjoyment-wise or emotionally, it did not feel that way for me. Okay. Uh, because it was not only a remix of sort of how the characters were treated. Uh, Splinter's not the wise master. He's the goofy dad. The teenagers are actually teenagers. Uh, even April O'Neil is a teenager at yeah, this point. Yeah. And I, I think she has been in in maybe the cartoon before, but, like, that was a, a fun thing. Like, she's not a confident newswoman. She's, like, a kid who yeah. uh, tried to host her announcements and puked all over the place. April O'Poke? Uh, April O'Puke. Puke. April O'Puke, um, yeah. and, uh, and, and then, specifically, the thing that I really enjoyed mm -hmm. was the treatment of the mutants other than the turtles and the mayhem. Right. Because you see all of them in the beginning, like, oh, these are all of the, the mutants that they're going to fight. Right, and that always happens yeah. in the cartoon and and in almost every story. It's like the bad guys have a mutants too, and they're gonna like Shredder's using this or whatever. Um, here, now we're getting into spoilers for this. Uh, 
the main villain, Superfly, uh, even for like a good 10 minute sequence, 15 minutes, like they're all just like cool. Yeah, they're cousins. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're all cousins and they go hang out at like a bowling alley yeah, or, yeah. and like and they're just all having a good time. <laughs> and then the turtles through, I think, their joy and like um, appreciation of like human life, because that's the whole thing. They want to be appreciated so they can leave the sewers. Yeah. Um, and that mirrors, it feels like in this particularly, just to back up on that, it feels like that mirrors a lot of how teenagers feel in general, like they want to be seen by the world and liked by the world, but it's hard because they don't fully understand the world. It's also, I think maybe the analogy as well is they feel like they've been homeschooled and they want to go to yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. public school. So yeah. so I think all of that for, for that element of the turtle story, we've seen that before, but that was really, really, really prominent here. And then also the fact that when the good mutants and the bad mutants, so to speak, were all hanging out, yeah. the turtles through their sort of like, I don't know, just like familial coolness, yeah. kind of were like convinced everyone but Superfly to not want to kill all the humans. <laughs> it, 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 you know what's striking about that, though, is that I'm not sure, I guess it's only, and they make a joke of this in the film, it's only because they get to know April O'Neil that they feel that way. Every other human that they encounter, particularly Splinter, is you know like proves the point to them that that humans are dangerous to them. Yeah, and April even says because they say to they say to uh, uh, they ask April when they first meet her like, oh man, you're really cool. Do you think other humans would like us? And they're like, what? she's like, no, 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 absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> um, and there's yeah, I, I think that's uh, it's also an interesting sort of hell. I'll even tie this back. Oh my god, I'll tie this back to Sound of Freedom. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so wait, what are we traffic? What, what's yeah, yeah, happening? Yeah, no, like whether we're talking about any sort of political leaning piece of art or discussion point or whatever, mm-hmm. you are the conglomeration of all of the data and biases that have been shown to you throughout your entire life, and you can you learn and depending on your interest, compartmentalize and research and do all that stuff. But if you are stuck in a culture of well this is the truth mm-hmm. so and, and you've seen examples of why that could be the truth right. and people you trust tell you that's the truth then that's what your worldview is right and i think uh the turtles in their in their sort of teenage form in this case are are they believe splinter in the beginning of the movie that humans are bad right. but they also see like the fun that they have and they kind of want to still be a part of it and they kind of hope it feels like they hope it's not true yeah and they come up with a ill-fated plan to like make it not true they're like oh if we save the city yeah then everyone will love us yeah and, and again I, that's a very childlike yeah, thing yeah. to to think about um so to that point i really did like that element of it and, and it and it transcends going back to my original thought of like basically even bebop and rocksteady yeah canonical villains yeah just want to be loved and they all just like like no i don't think we have to like kill all the people and then superfly goes crazy turns into a big monster and then they all fight superfly right and that was something i was not expecting Hmm. um i i know it seems like a small thing yeah but for but for me and these types of stories sometimes small shifts like that Actually, that have sort of a narrative meaning to them, not just a ha ha, we're flipping the script. Yeah, uh, I think do go a lot 
farther for me because I love these stories yeah. and I like seeing them meaningfully remixed. And uh, I think that's why maybe I had a lot more love for this uh, from a from a narrative and structure perspective than maybe you did. Um, because I, 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 I thought it was, yeah, for me, it was uh, familiar to like the second uh, um, Superfly kind of talks about creating a um, an ooze that takes mm -hmm. over the world so that everyone will be mutants. I was like, well, that's the plot of X-Men 1. That is a plot of there's, a, you know, a dozen of these kinds of movies. There's also a weird thing about these kind of plots. Yeah. Some, some movies treat that kind of plot like it's the point. Yeah. And other movies treat that kind of plot like it's a skeleton to staple on a bunch of wonderful moments with characters you love. And that, that's and what that is what like. this feels for me. I don't think... I think this movie is supposed to be a showcase of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the characters in that world, yeah. and to get and to get us in the seat to have the moments where these characters can talk and interact, and we can kind of fall in love with them again. It's a bare bones sort of story about mutants wanting to kill the humans and take over the earth, like. I don't. I don't give a shit about that. What I give a shit about is the dialogue that people are having about the like the moral quandaries about that, while also having Paul Rudd, yeah. uh, like as a skateboarding gecko, yeah, like yeah. Just, just shouting back TikTok quips. <laughs> like, I, it's a vehicle for that. I also think this is a uh, uh, horses are having a bad summer as the second film I think we've seen in a row where horses are used as a demonstration of toxic max masculinity yeah <laughs> um which, uh i i liked I, I also liked that um ice cube as superfly uh really felt like uh he wanted to be an r-rated movie but like it was very and it was just like teetering on the edge of it but just like couldn't quite get there because it was a pg uh, movie for kids yeah um i think you're i i think the thing for me is that the film kind of feels like it's coasting on its charm and its charm is in the fact that they have remixed, I, I think remix is the right word mm -hmm. here, remixed uh, Turtles for a new generation, for the TikTok generation, as you kind of pointed out, uh, made the Turtles relevant to uh, younger kids again. Um, but as a story, uh, as a film unto itself, I kind of found, I found there's a little, you know, I guess, I guess maybe my high bar here. <laughs> is um, Into the Spider-Verse and Mitchell's Vision of the Machines, where the action of the film, the central thread line of the narrative, is connected to the, to the arc of the characters. And, and in a way, Superfly feels a little villain of the week. Um, you know, so it doesn't quite connect in the same way. Um, but I did appreciate that the charm of the, that it is kind of, it's doing a lot of work to, to, to make that charm work. The charm is the point. Yeah. I think the movie... As the movie an, is charming. It's very adult, charming. As an adult coming into this, yeah. I think charm is the point. Mm -hmm. I think it, from a kid's perspective of adults making this for kids, yeah. I think leaning into what a kid is today... Mm -hmm. I just keep using TikTok generation, but yeah. I don't know what the fucking <laughs> that, that's terminology what the old people is. would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think that... They also succeed there in in an odd way. Again, your son not liking it does say something to the contrary. Yeah. Um. I don't. And, and this is the other part of it. Well, I think that it's still the right move if they're trying to get that audience. The way that kids get sort of, uh, I'll call it IP information and like stories and things is all going to change so much that like I don't I don't know if this will move a needle toward or against the turtles, but this feels like the logical shot to take. Yeah, it's a shot. Yeah. Um. And I. I think this movie's let's. I, I don't know if this is true, but I think let's put it next to Mitchell's versus the Machines, which uh, uh, I I will say is a better movie than this movie. Sure, 
But I do think they do the same, t- like, le- the story of Mitchells versus the Machines is about sort of a the family. Entity. <laughs> the entity. It is about the entity. It's about a family coming to terms with understanding each other in a way, right? Yeah, like As they're separating. As they're separating. Yeah. Like, um, and growing, changing, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think there's more like specific slice of life moments that we've probably all gone through elements mm-hmm. in that movie that is more relatable to a standardized, a standardized life, mm-hmm. a, a human being's life in the course of uh, time in, in Western society. Whereas in Ninja Turtles, I think it does the same thing, but there's not that time, like that moment in timeness that we can kind of be like, ah, yes, I rem- I remember how I felt that way. We can look at it in more generalities of like, I have wished I've belonged. Like, and... It's not as it's not as gripping mm-hmm. because it's a wider net. You know what I mean? I think even more fundamentally, um, the movie does a lot of work to to give Splinter an arc to you know about letting go of his kids yeah. uh, and realize you know it's kind of the, it's the Finding Nemo arc, which is that I need to let go. My kids need to be able to fly on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, the the turtles themselves don't go through much of an arc. Um, you know they're kind of on the same line at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film, they kind of get what they want. It's, it's, I think maybe a slight reframing of this, like where the film works for me was around Splinter. I think Jackie Chan does a, does a great voice. And I also like that a lot of his fight sequences uh, resembled drunken master, yep. you know, like just fumbling around and he wasn't, you know, just a wise old Splinter. Um, there, there's a, a couple of, so, so that was the first kind of like disconnect for me, which is that, it really feels like the the turtles themselves, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Raphael, and Donatello, are kind of all on the same plane. And also, they're you know what was interesting about maybe the first couple of films is you could really delineate the characters as all having different approaches to what was going on. You know, like in the first movie, Raphael was a loner and would go out on his own and try to get away from his brothers and that sort of thing. Donatello would be like in his in his you know in his own world, kind of building inventions. Here, they all kind of felt. Despite having sort of different personality types, they all kind of acted the same way, and they all kind of were on the same journey for me. So, so there was, the, I think that was one thing where it was like hard to delineate the characters. Second thing was, well, they're color coded. They, they are color coded, which they lose their color codes at the end, which is a something well, they, just, wear, they wear it on their clothes though. Uh, I hadn't thought about that in a while, which was like, yeah, why do they wear masks? Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, the other thing is the the sort of. Um, the rejection of them by human beings is a story that's like, it feels very painful that they would have to get over that, but the film kind of uses the shortcut towards the end, which is which is what I call the New York good guy shortcut, yeah. uh, which we've seen in a, you know, a, a, a dozen movies, mm-hmm. probably going all the way back to King Kong. Uh, the idea that, um, and, and look, I, we live in New York City, and there is this vibe to New York City, which is that if someone is in trouble all these gruff assholes that are New Yorkers that are us will step in and do the right thing. Um, and, you know, like, I think it was in uh, Amazing Spider-Man, there's a similar arc where uh, all the crane operators in the... No, a- that was that was in Spider-Man 3. Was it in Spider-Man 3? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the crane operators will like... I, are you sure? I thought it was yeah, an amazing... Yeah, to give him a clear line to swing into the building where Sandman was, like, swinging. Right, right. It was dumb as fuck. But, but in the same light... The in brutality Spider-Man- of it... <laughs> 
It, in the same light, uh, the Spider-Man 2, for example, when Peter Parker saves everyone on the subway. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. Everyone kind of like, you know. Spider-Man 1, when they throw <laughs> bottles at Green Goblin. You mess with one of us. You, you mess, mess with all, all of us. It's a very, um, it's a New York narrative that we all kind of like to believe. <laughs> and I, if we don't, we'll cry. We will cry. And it's like, uh, it's not the same narrative that you would get in California for some reason. <laughs> in California, oh my God, get out of here. Yeah. Um, uh, I I like that. It definitely felt unearned in this movie. Like it really felt like because you know, like Splinter appears uh, on the streets in the same way that he did as in Times Square, and mm -hmm. everyone for some reason. What I didn't understand in that first Times Square sequence, by the way, is why anybody cared that he was a rat. Like the the joke of it would be that in Times Square, where everyone's dressed up as everything, no one would even notice him. Uh, but but like for some reason it's the other way around. Maybe back then it wasn't as as mascot central. No, I don't know. And in, and then in this time, like April O'Neil's been on screen for like maybe all of a minute, and all of a sudden the entire city is turned. Um, I take I, that as and again it's it, not it's, it's an it's a it's a narrative shortcut that makes it feel unearned. I don't. This is gonna be this is gonna sound strange. Okay. I don't think the earning is the point. Hmm. I mean, I, I would argue that because that narrative shortcut is taken and they keep this runtime at a cool fucking, what is well, it? One crazy, hour 30 it's crazy short. Like, yeah. it's a good good clip. Yeah, like, love um, that. I think that, like, they know that that's a shortcut, but they also know that, like, what they're psyched to talk about. They don't, they're not, I don't think the filmmakers here are really excited to deep dive into the psychological changes of a society towards the other that are really different from each other. I think they're using that as a, as a, um, um uh not 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 a shortcut what's the word when you uh an allegory of like of trying to of, right. of things that happen in real life prejudices but right. i don't think there i mean the runtime alone Rose previous film does does not take those kinds of shortcuts no but it's a different story too right, of course and it's a but, different, but, but i'm and, saying and that's the goal why, is different but that's why that works and this one for me that is why doesn't that work. element of the film works better in that film than this one because i think they really wanted to focus on it in that film right. and I, I think they wanted to focus on other things in this film and, 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 and the mileage mm -hmm. to the viewer obviously may vary right but i it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting thing with film um that and I like it when good. I like talking about good movies. I think better than I like talking about what I would consider a bad movie or something right. that's poorly crafted. Yeah. Because I see all of the issues that you have with this movie mm -hmm. as true. Like, I, and I'm not. I'm, but I'm not suggesting it's not a good time. I, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm not. And I'm. Yeah. I think we're kind of on the same page about yeah. that. What I'm saying is, I really like it when I can be like, yes, that's right. I can see why that wouldn't work for you. But I don't think it was a, and I don't know. Actually, this is a good question for you. Do you think that it was a misstep on their part, or do you think they knew sort of the assignment of what they wanted to do, and they focused their energies sort of places? I, uh, my feeling about it is, the overall end result of whatever the decision making process is, is that the movie feels more discardable, in terms of like you can you can watch it and enjoy it, but never think about it again. Do you think? And I, I, I don't agree with that entirely, but let's just say yes, yeah. right? Uh, do you think that the filmmakers know that? I, I think it's a, it's very challenging to try and discern intention in this case. Oh, I know. I'm it, saying be, your opinion on that. Like, my, my opinion is that it feels hastily put together in terms of finding an emotional core to the film. And... And as a result of that, 
it is a little bit easier to discard the movie or just or just say it's fine. Um, and I, I just don't want, what I think is challenging here is whether they what's impossible to decipher is whether they thought that the narrative arcs that they were taking would be emotionally resonant and would work or whether they didn't care. And I think it's. It, it's, it's near impossible for us to decide which was the case. We, all we can talk about is the result. Yeah, I think they thought the narrative arc was emotionally resonant enough to keep moving and do the things that they were very excited about doing. And the reason I say that is you look at the pedigree of something like Mitchell's versus the Machines and you see where the where – the, it's funny. There's only so much time and money. We've talked about this a couple of times, I think, on the podcast at this point. Yeah. Like, you see where the pie chart changes yeah. in a little bit. Like, yeah. it, you, or, I'm making up in my brain based on what I saw where the pie chart changes. And, and that's why I think it's it's difficult to decipher intention. What we can, what as 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 reviewers discusses people who are discussing the film, what we can do is decipher result. Right. And I'm saying, but th- th- see, this is where it gets weird, and I kind of it becomes a snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. My result yeah. is based off of my. Uh, what I hope educated guesses on intention, mm. right? Because I, I'm I'm looking at like in the movie. Let's mm. let's go straight up from here. Right. I did not feel any of the problems that you're feeling while I was watching it. I was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Yes, right. yes, 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 yes. Here, I'm agreeing with the problems that you are saying the movie has structurally with its narrative, having it not have the most emotionally resonant through arc for the characters, the the uh, well-worn territory of monster destroying New York. And, and primarily the indecipherability of those four main characters. So, but again, I think what I, I what I like about this, and I've seen this both ways mm-hmm. in Turtles media. Yeah. There's Turtles media that separates the boys, mm-hmm. that makes them very distinct characters. Yeah. And there's Turtles media that kind of treats all of them as this is a weird sort of way to put it, but different elements of one personality. Right. And this is the latter. This is mind. Yeah. Yeah. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's a reason, there's a reason, even though you say there is a more Leonardo-centric cartoon, but overall, Mm -hmm. they don't split up these turtles. They don't get their own stories often. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, they're a group. They're a thing. And so I don't personally mind the hive mind approach, which this one does, and is well-worn territory for the, I would say probably 70 to 80% of Turtles media kind of treats them like this. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not what people are looking for today. Maybe like, because like, I like it that they make Splinter and April really, really like cool, distinct, interesting characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that. Oh, I feel like I'm just, um, I'm, 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 Blowing smoke up this movie's ass. I'll tell you what I didn't like about it. Okay. Um, the character that Maya Rudolph plays that works at TCRI. Um, oh, yeah, the the evil villain. Cynthia Ottrum. Yeah. Um, and I get that they, like, needed a group to do a thing to, like, start a th- whatever. Like, that feels very and disconnected she- and, and um, franchisey. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, side note, I'm putting this out there right now. She's dressed like an adult member of the Neutrinos. Oh, the neutrinos. The neutrinos are teenagers from Dimension X, where Krang is from, and the okay. Rock Generals are from, okay. and where Shredder gets all the technology for the Technodrome eventually. Right. Um, I'm wondering if she is one of the neutrinos who came to Earth to start TCRI and do some fucked up. Like, I think she's going to be the element to Dimension X right. because just based on her character design and the glasses. Yeah. Um, and I hope I'm – that's why, like one of those nerd things I caught. I'm like, oh, fuck. And it's like my conspiracy theory if this gets another iteration down the line. So, but I didn't like it in the movie. I thought that stuff was so disjointed from, to your point, the already kind of like loose, not the most effective narrative arc. Like yeah. there was no emotional resonance 
with that company or that character or the goons. Yeah. Uh, where the and there, Superfly had a little bit because they set it up in the beginning, but not a ton. Yeah. But, they, but Superfly had enough for me. Those guys didn't. So uh, what I the the question that I asked at the very beginning of this episode was: yeah, Should we see Sound of Freedom? Yes, we should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, my question that I asked at the beginning of the film was: What is the not what is the economic value of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Mm-hmm. And um, because I had a suspicion, or I, I wonder if uh, the economic value of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is much higher than we think it is because of how long they've been around and how much content they've been putting out and how consistent it's been. It doesn't have. But the thing that I think what we're sort of getting to here is that if this movie w- hadn't taken some of the shortcuts that you know I think it takes, and it hit the highs of either an Into the Spider Verse or Spider Man One or Two, whatever, then the cultural cachet of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would probably grow because of this movie. I don't know if it's going to because I found that the movie itself, while doing some interesting things ultimately was, you know, even by my son, able to be discarded. Whereas when he watched Into the Spider-Verse, a movie that he did not want to see, he could not deny that he, he thought it made him mm-hmm. feel something yeah. that, he was, that he has grown attached to and feels compelled by. I don't think he has, in this case, that feeling right. for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, and look, my, you know, as, you, as we've kind of stated as well, mileage will vary. And I, I don't think in any way that this is a bad time at the movies or it's poorly made or anything like sure. that. I think that um, it doesn't, it, it does some things well, particularly in uh, incorporating a sort of more grunge animation style and, um, and giving the characters a voice that is appropriate to their age group and giving Splinter a really interesting arc. As a film unto itself, I don't think it go goes much beyond that. And I think that that's a, it's a it's a hard factor to quantify. Are you saying, are you making the bold claim <laughs> that if the movie was better, it would have a larger cultural impact? And and the question here is <laughs> when we asked when we were talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before, we were like, oh well, you know, it's been making a lot of stuff, but has it like ever hit the highs of one of the highs? I don't think either of us were clamoring to see the live action films with um, uh, Megan Fox. No, because and, those looked bad. But but like like imagine if any of these stories got to the heart of the turtles in an interesting way, like Into the Spider Verse gets into the mythology of Spider Man, like would, Mitchell's versus the Machines gets into with the with that family, which here, is a property we don't even thing. know. Here's the interesting thing: I would argue that this movie does do that, but okay. I would but I would argue that the turtles' deepness. Mm-hmm is not as deep as those two other stories are. Like, I think that stories can have different levels of depth. You can mine more and you can adjust things and you can, of course you can. But like for a Turtles movie, from what I've expected from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this one was pretty on the nose and and like and the right level of emotional resonance for me. Yeah. So, and I I I take not umbrage with that, but I I wonder. I think the you the, take umbrage, sir. The the aim of bringing in new talent like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldman into into this particular property and Jeff Rowe is to try and take a different interpretation of it and to and to do more with it. And I think and they it, do in elements it, of it. They do with elements of it, of course, yeah. Um, it, you know, uh, mileage may vary uh, in terms of my opinion on this because I have not been proven right by the internet. But when J.J. Abrams came into Mission Impossible 3, I think that's what he did. <laughs> yeah, I, think right, he br- right, right. I think he brought, like, 
a new depth to that character that hadn't that sure. that hadn't occurred um, to anyone at that point. Um, and I don't think this is that. Now, again, I'm not. I, I did really enjoy it. The one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, and and this is sort of like a superficial thing, but like one that can check our biases about the about how we inter- discuss these films, is that I loved the needle drops in this movie. I, I really like because I'm a hip hop head and like so 90s hip hop, you know, when they played ODB in this, yeah. I was like, yeah. And then like there's an incredible I love this. I, I thought this was like phenomenal. The montage where they decide to go and um, uh, find all of the people that have been working with, with Superfly, Superfly. And it was like each of them was the same montage played to um, No Diggity. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was phenomenal. The, the, I and the same fight scene, and but this, like cutting between the different yeah. locations. But it also it also did highlight the kind of like they're all the same character kind of thing. But I thought visually and from like a a, a storytelling point, a visual kind of construction, I thought that was phenomenal. I absolutely, I was like, oh man, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, uh, the reason I wanted to bring up the needle drops was that I I I think the reason it works is that the needle drops. Are not are connected to the aesthetic of the film and connected to the narrative world that these characters live in. This feels like the music they would listen to. I wondered about my thinking about that compared to Super Mario Brothers when <laughs> uh, you know, like there were needle drops where we were just like, "What is? Why is the song playing?" You know, like it has no construction here. I think it's because these songs that are in this film aren't uh, mainstay tracks right now. Um, they're very popular tracks. Well, like, Aha's take on me isn't a mainstay track. Like it, I, I feel like it felt like a library track, like in 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 Super Mario Brothers, whereas these feel like these were curated. Th- I, I wonder, I I wonder about that distinction in my in my own head yeah. because I was like, I love the soundtrack to this, and I want to, you know, like as soon as it's off, I want to go listen to these. But I was like, but maybe that's just my bias as like someone who likes this particular kind so of genre of music. I'd, I'm not a huge hip hop head. Yeah. I will say this though, I. You brought up needle drops, and the first thing in my head, I was like, I don't remember any. Oh, really? And and then like the that's, no diggity one. But but like, here's the thing. Yeah. I think that's it depends on the goal of the needle drop. Mm-hmm. But on one hand, I think that's the most effective needle drop. I, I thought the music fucking rocked in this movie. Yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus, and I know. Atticus Finch do I know. a great song. Uh, so so well. but my my point behind it is, it's kind it, it needle drops can be yeah. like editing. Yeah. If you're doing it right, no one fucking notices and they're just in it. Right. I think with the Super Mario Brothers movie, they're <laughs> like, wait till they remember this song. <laughs> and like they play a song to kind of like kick you out of the movie and be like, oh yeah, I remember that song. Where am I? And, and actually now that, wow, it's all coming together. The Mario stuff might actually be to help reset your brain between the blazing fast, no information at all changes between scenes. Right. Because- it does reset your brain because you right. get kicked out of the movie. Then you're back in the movie and you're in a different place. Here, I think, in my opinion, the needle drops are incredibly effective. So from might- both from both perspectives, from the person that under like that follows that music and, and and loves it, and you're being like, "Fuck yeah, this is being used correctly. This feels right." They would listen to this. Yeah. And my perspective, which is, I'm not familiar with these tracks, but this feels correct to the movie, and it's being used very effectively in the scenes they chose. So what I want to get away from is talking about intentions of artists because it's it's again it's difficult to decipher how these I'm going to keep going. <laughs> those decisions are made. But what I think you're getting at here is that perhaps the the economic ethos for why you pull a needle drop is probably the same between Super Mario Brothers and here. And what's different is that these are executed better. Yeah. So that no diggity scene has a, ri- uh, a rhythm to it 
that matches that song. Not to mention that that I, I'm not sure if No Diggity is a New York song, but like you know ODB when they're playing the Wu Tang Clan. That's New York music. This is a New York story. Yep. It eventually gets into the New York ethos of the whole film. So it kind of, even if, even if you are unaware of those things, subconsciously it gets in. Like De La Soul uh, recently dropped, um, you know, well, not recently dropped, you know. Like, I was but, like, what? Uh, but but uh, they've recently re-released De La Soul on Spotify. So now I've been listening to De La Soul like, uh, like repeatedly for the last few weeks. And it's like, what I love about it is I live in Queens. De La Soul is from Queens, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so it feels like this is, and one thing I'm very excited about is I grew up in New Zealand where uh, I was one of the only few hip hop people in, mm-hmm. you know, in the culture that I lived in. And, you know, it was like a handful of people that loved hip hop and it was this thing that we kind of like kept to ourselves. I now live in a culture where hip hop is the most prevalent form. And I, and I love that I live in Queens where it's like, yeah, De La Soul, Nas, these people are here. You know, they're from here. And this is the rhythm of the place that I live in now. Yeah. And so when I watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I love that, that the, the fueling ethos of the needle drops felt like this is, this is a New York story. Yeah. You know, and, and while I didn't like the, the sort of uh, New York good guys, you know, all the delivery guys kind of helping out to get the, um, to get the anti- anti-mutagen into uh, into Molly, yep. uh, into Superplay. I, I did, you know, like, that is a familiar trope. It's unearned in this movie, but I also respond to it in a way which goes, yes, in some stretch of the imagination, that is a New York that I believe in. Sure. You know? Uh, I'll say one other thing I didn't like, but this is, I love it in nerd movies or in movies that are pulling at my nostalgia and, you know, things like that. I, I love catching myself in these moments. Yeah. When it happened, yeah, and they got through the origin story and how they all learned ninjutsu, yeah, I was the lizard brain in me was mad. I'm like, oh, they learned it off of VHS tapes. There's no, <laughs> there's no connection to uh, Orokusaki and Hamato Yoshi, yeah. like, and I was like, because that was the owner of Splinter, right? Yeah, in, in the original. And so I, I was just like, okay, yeah. and, and, and it's funny. Does that matter? Right. Absolutely not. But right. my dumbass fanboy that I I see that like small part of my brain that I see other people like not getting over on the internet. Yeah. Um. I was like, hey, and then I was like, it's not important. It's I'm not having a good time. Like, and, and I and I like that again because it's voiced by Jackie Chan as well. There's yeah. a, like an air of authenticity to like his type of kung fu. So <laughs> it was funny. I just I always like catching those moments in these stories yeah. because. I'll do the dumb thing and then I'll realize it's dumb and I'll get the fuck over myself. I wish more people could sort of compartmentalize that element when dealing with properties like this that have been around for ages. Yeah, and and you know, like uh, uh, accepting that someone people are brought in specifically to reform our yeah. thinking about yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, and and that's and that's the way it should be. There, it's like a you know, like it should change over time. They're not taking away the story where Splinter cuts up uh, uh, the Shredder's face <laughs> and then the gets her to do a rat. Like it's just the it mimics. I mean, and that's and it, it, you know, like that is what the Barbie movie is doing. Yeah, that is what this movie is doing. Um, you know, that is what Into the Spider Verse does. Yep, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I. It's funny, but again, I was in a movie blaze yeah. uh, uh, when we when we talked both uh, right after. I, I when we left, I thought you and your son really liked it. Uh, but everything you're saying makes sense. Like, and I'm not saying you didn't like it. You seem to have liked it fine. Yeah, I think my mileage goes went a lot farther. Yeah. Like, uh, I, the this movie, my final thought, I guess, would be like the ride it took me on. 
while not the the most innovative or like uh like jaw-dropping spectacle yeah the track that they built took me a different route mm-hmm. and it was smooth as fucking hell right and like i just i was in it i i hope there's another one of these yeah I, I yeah i think i think in terms of in terms of that um my inter- you know like there's usually <laughs> you know i think we were talked about um spider-man no way home or something like that uh, where I'm like off the train, I'm I'm not off the train on this one. Yeah. You know, like like when they showed Shredder at the end, uh, spoilers. <laughs> we're, we're they show Shredder at the end. <laughs> they show Shredder at the end. I was like, okay, cool. I can see an opportunity to develop this further at this point. This the movie. This movie didn't go as far as I would like, or as as um, didn't um, nail the landing as much as I would have liked. But I, you know, I think it does a lot of good. Yeah, you know, and and I, uh, yeah, for from you know, I the first thing I did, it's been really hard to find the track list from the movie. Really, yeah, they don't, have, not, they don't have it on Spotify. It's not out yet. You can get the orchestral score, and then like people, I think this is what happens on Spotify now. People make playlists in order to get their own music up, so they'll put on one song from the TMNT and then just put on a bunch of stuff that they like. Yep. Um. So you can't get like it's it's hard to find the official track list from this. But again, I, you know. Um, I like taking my son to the movies, and like we had, we had a good time. He does not want to purchase any TMNT merchandise well, or anything. That's good for your wallet. It is good for my wallet. Beyblades are expensive, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, e- I can't even fathom getting into fucking Beyblade. He's he's so into Beyblade. Like, do you know how many Beyblade? Ba- and <laughs> I gotta say, he uh, it may I don't know what it is. He cheats so bad. It's really? Like, he's like, he is He is not a fair kid. It's <laughs> funny you bring up cheating. I, this is a tangent before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, this has been the only podcast yeah, about the film, Teenage Mutant Digital's <laughs> Mutant Mayhem, uh, and we'll get into the outro outro in a second. Um, we recently had a discussion within uh, a group of friends yeah. about one of, uh, who shall remain nameless, I, I don't even know if, you might have met this person, but I don't think you know them well. I'm not okay. going yeah, sure, to sure, out sure. them here. Always cheats at trivia. Okay. <laughs> Always cheats at trivia and will not not cheat at trivia to the right. point where phones have had to have been removed. Right. <laughs> and we've gotten into the discussion of like, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think as a child, yeah. You as a child, I remember the point is you win. Yeah. And I I hope as you get as you become an adult, you're like, well, it depends on what it is. Like, obviously you want to win. But you want to want to win fairly. But like winning by Cheating is not in, in, in a trivia percentage. Is like yeah. is not actually winning. Winning by Beyblades is by <laughs> cheating. Is like yeah, you won, but you didn't because you didn't play the game. I just just to defend my son a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Your son is a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> he, it's not that it's not that he cheats. Is that he disqualifies any win that is not his own. Listen, <laughs> that might I be have, cheating. <laughs> I have played games with your son. Yeah. Uh, he does change the rules. He changes the rules at, at a at a whim. If a, <laughs> if a car goes down a track, if we're racing and and mine happens to get to the end first, no, 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 no we no, gotta we gotta we, do it again. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I get that. It's different different thing. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it's just funny. I've been talking about the concept of cheating and what what that gets in games specifically. Like, it's 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 interesting because I think it gets into game theory and we and we uh, think about. Um, you know, there's this fa- there's a famous story that Donald Trump uh, is a fairly is a pretty good golfer. Um, in fact, might be might be a great golfer, but he always, spends enough time. At yeah, it. but always, but cannot stand the idea of losing. And so when it comes to like losing, 
uh, at golf, there's always a re changing of the rules and stuff. So I think it does get into a psychological thing, like a psychological barrier thing. And I've got to like work on that with my kid at this point because Listen, <laughs> and a good way to compartmentalize it, I think, mm. is when you win at a game by cheating, you're not winning the game, mm. you're winning cheating. Right. Yeah. Like because the game, the, the game is only the game because of the rules of the game. The, I think the only thing we've tried to like mitigate it is get into this idea that maybe you can engineer the rules so you win, but the problem is no one will want to play with you anymore. Yeah. And and, and I think that has gotten through, but, but you know, it's the <laughs> Beyblades. I'm still like, uh, I'm still all over the map on this. I cannot, uh, I cannot beat it, win a game. I, this, I, I was able to help when, when he was into Marvel. I can't help with this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It is either. beyond me. It is beyond my ken. <laughs> uh, Shahir, when you are not uh, escaping the sewers in hopes of a giant party-sized bag of Doritos, where can folks find you? I will underline the list that says it has to be party-sized <laughs> at my website, www.shahirdow.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U. D.com. Matt, when you are listing all of your favorite tracks on Spotify uh, that are New York centric, where can people find you? You can find me and my vast musical knowledge. Do not look me up on Spotify, right. by the way, because my track list is all D&D &D backing tracks. Right. <laughs> it's it is when I get my yearly like report, I'm like, I'm a fucking psychopath. Right. Yeah. Uh, at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four, Piri is an Instagram or PSN on Twitter. Or no, sorry. P yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. No one goes there and I talk too fast. Yeah. Um, actually, I want to. I need to. I need to adjust my socials. It should happen. So you should uh, just consolidate everything to threads. I. I. I, <laughs> I don't want to do threads. I, I. I like even the website. If you go to MatthewKroll.com, yeah, it's work that I did seven years ago. Like sure. I. I Good keep work. sending. Sure, I like I think, the work. I think on your website. I haven't been on your website in forever. But something I edited is on your website. I'm sure. Like a, a shark fishing thing with Andrew Schultz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah I think yeah. I remember putting that together. Um, and also, like, wasn't there um, a song, the Guy Code song? Yep. Did, is that on your website? I'm sure it is. That was, like, my big thing at uh, Guy Code. I it's remember. funny. <laughs> I, I put a bunch of stuff up uh, for my website when I was building it, and then I got copyright and claim, copyright claim. Right, and I'm yeah. like, cool, guys. Yeah, I made this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but regardless, uh, I, need to, I need to do something, I think, uh, with time. I just want to make, like, a thing that is actually re relevant to what I am doing now. Uh, regardless. One one last thing I want to say is that uh, we recorded, uh, because we're sort of in vacation mode, we recorded a bunch of episodes ahead of time. This is the last released of those episodes. So right now, when you are listening to this episode, we are back in time. And in the next episode you hear us, we may be back in the future. Right? Yes. Right now, we are in the past talking to you in the future. And then the next time you hear us, we will be in the present talking to you in just a little bit of the future. This is the spoiler for that timeline. <laughs> At this moment. Yeah, what is TMNT? What is, is TMNT? What if Sound of Freedom becomes the box office smash of the summer, overtaking Barbie and Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer? And TMNT is number two. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, sure. Great. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, no, I don't. I'd be a terrible nightmare <laughs> timeline if that happened. But the uh, uh, what I was going to say is. If you are listening, whenever you are listening to this episode, right. all of the pre-done ones, we, we've recorded uh, Oppenheimer, then Talk to Me, then, well, actually, technically, the order of record and the order of release doesn't matter. But yeah. released-wise, you'll have heard Oppenheimer, uh, Talk to Me, and TMNT. Yeah. Um, 
at this point, whether you're listening on your RSS feed or if you're listening to them on Nebula, the, all three of those movies, if you're hearing this, of reviews, will be out. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll release them early because we have them done over on Nebula. Um, and you could use uh, our code in the, the description of, of these episodes uh, to sign up if you'd like. Um, if not... We do really appreciate. We've been noticing the numbers slowly ticking up yeah. on on the general feed, and that's really nice. Please share us around. Let people know if you like these conversations. If you like hearing me and Shahir debate about cheating, uh, QAnon, and Beyblade, <laughs> that's what this podcast is. And tell all your friends specifically that. Yeah, if you like any one of those things, you might like one quarter of this episode. <laughs> if you like podcasts that don't get to the point of the title of the podcast till a half hour in, <laughs> your friends are gonna love us. Yeah, we got uh, a lot to say. Yeah. And None of it makes any literal sense. No, but thank you so Linear much. For, sense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for putting up with our timeline jumping, and uh, we will talk at you next week when we do a film that we haven't decided yet. Yeah, because it's four weeks away from now. Dear God, this might be the most ahead we've ever been. Got to get back in time. You keep saying that, and I'm like, do we do Back to the Future? Like, what yeah, are we doing? Cool. We can out coming up to 450. Oh God, we got to think of something for 450. We'll get anyway. there. All right, bye, bye everybody. everybody.